With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the TakeCast. My name is Davis Matic. You guys can find me on Twitter, at Davis Matic. The football season has begun, so of course we had to bring on our buddy, Ben Baldwin, to talk about some of the big head-scratchers, some of the big storylines after week one and what we're going to kind of be monitoring in week two and further on. We got all done with our FFPC main event drafts. Uh, Those were kind of taking up the feed for the last couple weeks. Have you enjoyed that? Thank you. If you didn't, uh, we will be we are back to our regularly scheduled programming now. Uh, if you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to Patreon.com/slash/TakeCast for bonus episodes of the program. Or you can just tell a friend about the show. That's always useful. That's always helpful. Or you can leave a rating or review on iTunes to support the show. Now let's go ahead and get into the episode with Ben. All right, everyone. Right about this time of the year. Uh, we, we need to bring our friend Ben Baldwin into the program. We have to decide, uh, have teams gotten smarter? Are teams getting stupider? Are there have and have nots, which to me seems the case. Our, our king, uh, uh, Brandon Staley, did let us down in a, in a couple spots for the Chargers last week. Um, and of course, I mean, the biggest news in the sports world right now, the Seattle Seahawks winning at home against the the oft-maligned uh, Russell Wilson, you know, the big, big booze, Ben, I mean, how are you feeling this morning? Are you sad? Did, was that a sad experience for you or was that a joyful experience on Monday night? I, if I had to pick one word, I, I would say kind of surreal, um, both because Russell Wilson was playing in Seattle, but not for the Seahawks, but just everything about that game was so weird. Like with all, with all the goal line fumbles, the way it ended, um, Denver's offense just marching up and down the field, but not being able to score. And yeah, it was, it was just a lot to take in. Like I think every drive in the third quarter ended with a fumble um, if, if you count both teams. So it's like, it's really hard to know what to uh, take away from that game. I mean, I think we could do like, I, we probably won't do this, but I literally feel like I could talk about that game for an hour because there was so <laughs> much going on. I mean, the first layer of the onion to me personally was that the Seahawks looked like they were running a real modern NFL offense. They were, they were doing play action. They were, you know, throwing over the middle of the field and, and things like that. And so like, I guess, and, and um, our friend uh, Hayden Winks pointed this out, basically Russell's passing chart between his first game with the Broncos and his last two seasons with the Seahawks 
look the exact same. Same areas of the field, nothing over the middle, all deep and and outside the hashes. So I guess we 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 truly have to begin here. Was Pete Prisco right? Was was Russell Wilson actually more of a limiting factor in Seattle? And it it I mean, obviously Pete Carroll and John Schneider are boomers, but was there a little bit of wisdom in their boomer takes to not have Russ throwing 45 times a game? Well, if you're just looking yesterday, Russ threw a lot and he threw, um, like many people have pointed out, that the style of where he was throwing was the same as it has been. So I, I think all of that is still true. But if you look at how good Denver's passing offense was. They were good. <laughs> yeah. They had like the third highest EPA per play of all teams at week one, I think. So if like, yeah, it's one thing to say that this player plays in a very particular way. There, there are quarterbacks that are unique, like Jimmy Garoppolo is unique. Jalen Hurts is unique. Lamar Jackson's unique. And you have to tailor offenses around each player's own specific skills. But if you take an offense and tailor it around Russell Wilson's skills and you have the third best passing offense, not that this is necessarily going to continue, then that's like, that's not a bad thing. That's like the, the whole point of coaching is to put players in position to succeed. If that, and if Russell Wilson doing that is how he succeeds and you have a good passing offense, then if you're Denver, you can't really be disappointed with what you got so far. And we'll, we'll see if that continues against teams with actual NFL defenses. That touchdown pass to Jerry Judy was so ugly. I yeah, mean, you, you yeah. know, it's like we, we, we've become, so, well, we certainly had become accustomed to, you know, Russell Wilson, he's rolling back. He evades the defensive end who's, who's collapsing his pocket and he let, he corks the moon ball and, you know, Tyler Lockett is his outstretched arms are wide open. It was underthrown. Judy had to shake off the, uh, the defender. And then, you know, the, the, I mean, obviously a big part of this is like had, Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams just not literally fumble on the one yard line. It's like none of this even matters, right? It, it just, it truly doesn't matter. They just win the game. Seattle started out really well on offense and it, it really did not work in the second half. I think Gino only completed six passes. I think they only got two first downs in the entirety of the second half. Yeah. Seattle's passing offense had, if, if you take the passing yardage and subtract the sacks, it was something like 10 dropbacks per 10 yards or some, something crazy like that. It's like they, they did not get it going the second half. And yeah, the Broncos had those two goal line fumbles. And there were also those, those couple of plays where that first one where Wilson was rolling to his left and threw to the end zone. And it, it would have been a very hard catch, but the player couldn't come down with it. And then on the very next play was on the right sideline and the receiver caught it with the foot, like half an inch out of bounds, which was the correct call. But if, if the receiver is able to move his foot by like half an inch, then that's a touchdown and that, that's another difference of four points, which well, if they just simply if they if they threw that to Albert uh Ogwugbanam instead of Eric Robinson, <laughs> he probably he probably is able to control that. I mean, I guess my my big takeaway is that Nathaniel Hackett is not an offensive guru, right? This is not <laughs> this is not Andy Reid calling plays. This is not even uh Josh McDaniel, you know, calling plays, who I think is like looked pretty good uh in that in that opening game against the chargers. And I, I think we're clearly seeing his absence felt in new England. Like Nathaniel Hackett to me just seems like kind of your cookie cutter, Sean McVay, West coast offense clone where he's, he's certainly good at his job, but I don't think he's like adding wins to this team basically. Yeah. I, I think that, that's probably fair. Maybe adding wins relative to like what Vic Fangio. dealing with in the past year or, or Vic Fangio, although Denver's defense did look, 
pretty bad compared to what they were last year. So maybe Fangio was helping them, helping them on that side. But yeah, if I were the Broncos, I, I think I would be relatively encouraged by the, the game itself yesterday. Like they moved the ball very well and their defense recovered in the second half. But starting 0-1 in that division when one of your easy I mean, games they, was like, and not only yeah. not only not only 0-1, but 0-1 in a non-conference, non-division game where you're not subtracting from like it's just it it's bad as it gets. Yeah, and th- this is supposed to be one of their easy games. So like presumably the, the Chiefs and the Chargers are going to beat the Seahawks. So that this is like a, a hole that the, the Broncos are already starting. Yeah, we don't. I just I don't know. It's like it's like to me, I wanted this division to be really like iron sharpens iron. So Nathaniel Hacken and Russell Wilson watched the Chiefs put up. What was it with 44 points in the end? And the Chargers, you know, J- Justin Herbert just makes all these incredible throws and we're going to talk a little bit about Herbert here in, in a second, but it's, and, and even, I mean, Carr was bad in that game through, through one, a mind melting interception, but also had this um, Jared Dubin uh, screen grabbed this throw that he made to Darren Waller, where it was like, I literally could not even see it when he let the ball out of his hand. It was really incredible. And they just seemed pretty conservative. And, and we got to talk about, about the decision to not go for it on fourth and five. It's like, you just you can't pay a quarterback. What are they paying? Two hundred and three million dollars, and then not trust him to get four yards. It was the the ESPN stats and info tweeted that teams on exactly fourth and five last season were twenty two for forty three, or something like that. Like four, roughly fifty percent. Yep. Go go into that, please, sir. Yeah. So my I have a model that takes into account like how good offenses and defenses are supposed to be and, and calculates the probability of getting first down. And I think it was like 45%. So I, I think that's in the same ballpark as the, the ESPN number you said. And that's like, yes, if you convert it, you still have to make what is probably going to be a long field goal afterwards eventually, but it's not going to be as long. And kicking in Seattle, you're outdoors, you're, you're at sea level. And it's not the same as doing practice kicks in Denver. Or I, I saw people like tweeting, oh, he's, he's, we've seen him make these in, in practice or in training camps. And it's like, if it's in a real game, you have people trying to block your kick. If you look at long field goals, they're much more likely to be blocked because you have to kick it lower. Yeah, the low trajectory. Yeah. yeah. And if, if you're putting all your leg into it, like even if you have the distance, your accuracy is not necessarily going to be there. So like all those things together, I, I think it's, just such a low probability of making that kick that like, you got three timeouts, there were a minute left. You just traded for Russell Wilson. He's been converting on third down. So it's not like you should be concerned that fourth and five obvious passing situation, they're not going to be able to pick it up. Like even if you were just going by momentum and game flow and blah, 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 like all of that stuff should have swayed you to trying to get the first down and, and trying to set up an easier kick. And they, like, it's, it's just mind blowing to me what they did. It is, it is mind blowing. And I mean, they're going to like, they, they, what, what's going to have to happen now is they are going to have to win a minimum of one game, either in Los Angeles or in Kansas city, I think to be able to make the playoffs. Could you just go through like games they're favored or whatnot that, because I don't think 10 wins is going to do it for even the second wild card in the AFC. There are just too many good teams and the NFC, you know, it's, it's whatever, but the AFC is like, I mean, like the, the Patriots are like the third worst team in the AFC or something. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the other teams in the AFC and like the Dolphins look decent. There's the, the whole 
uh, AFC North. So the, the Ravens and Bengals, you would both expect to be there. And like even the, the Steelers and Browns sort of look frisky. And then there's the whole AFC West. So it's not like there isn't a deep pool of teams that can challenge for the wild card, even, even if the uh, winning the division is a long shot for the, the Bronc- Broncos, even like getting a wild card, it's not going to be easy either. Yeah. Um, all right. So I do, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about Patrick Mahomes and PFF grading because this, this became a small controversy this week. And normally, <laughs> you know, normally I would take the PFF side, right. And I'd be like, they have all these quality controls. These guys know what they're doing. Like maybe if one number is bad, whatever, but in the aggregate, it's fine and gives us a good sense of like, this guy's good or this guy's not good. But Patrick Mahomes being the eighth best quarterback this week and according to PFF grades being like like 3%, like marginally better than Davis Mills really triggered me. And it made me, it, it more so it just made me wonder like, and this, I've kind of been wondering this about quarterback play in general is should we be placing less of an emphasis on per play efficacy and instead focusing on the cumulative effects, right? So, so like EPA per play versus total EPA, right? Where it's like, you know, maybe Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen have more negative EPA plays because they're, you know, they're taking sacks when they shouldn't be or they are, you know, trying, like, it's like, this is actually the Rogers thing that we argued with people about on the internet forever ago is that Rogers graded out really well all the time. Cause he never made turnover worthy throws, but that actually subtracted from the Packers offense. So what are your, what are your thoughts on, on this, this Mahomes nexus right now? Yeah. So I don't think it's like a, a volume versus efficiency thing. If you just look at EPA per play, like Mahomes blows everybody else out of the water for week one. So I don't think that is what is, explaining the discrepancy between efficiency and grades. I I didn't catch a lot of that game because it wasn't very close and there was more interesting stuff going on um, in that window. But a lot of the back and forth I saw was like people like posting Mahomes' stat line or like a player two in response to PFF Sam who was arguing with, with people on the internet. Yeah, and yeah. this this isn't necessarily a defense of PFF grades in this case, but that that's kind of missing the point of what grades are supposed to do. Supposed so, to do. Yeah. If you say like a player had five touchdowns and no interceptions, so why was his grade this? Then that's, yeah, that, that's not really what grading is trying to do. Grading is saying, okay, there were no interceptions, but were there any dropped interceptions? Were there a turnover where he plays? Um, how impressive were the touchdown passes that he made? And there was that one that was like the, the underhand scoop pass or whatever to uh, which whichever of the the four running backs <laughs> scored touchdowns. It was it was yeah. it was Clyde. It was Clyde, okay. and that's I guess that's kind of one of those interesting ones. Like mm-hmm. you just give all of that credit to Andy Reid, and and you know like how much of of the success of that play is on the quarterback because there are like all these secondary effects of like well you know Carson Wentz probably can't complete that play because the safeties <laughs> are like or like you know the linebackers or whatever they don't care about Logan Thomas there they're like their their eyes are there are, you know, as big as, as dinner plates, like getting ready to cause Carson Wentz to do a turnover. So, I mean, that is why, and that is why, you know, there will always be this and this uh, holy war of like analytics and stuff in football is because for any data backed point, you could be like, well, how hard is it really to throw a shovel pass to Clyde Ritzelaire for a touchdown? Then someone who's like backing uh, Mahomes is, is like, well, X, Y, and Z, um, which is like actually become a big, uh discussion point in football right now because 
you we, we get this is a right about the time of the year you get all the anonymous GM front office surveys and they're like oh yeah we take Mahomes we take Herbert or Allen over Mahomes which is very very triggering to me and I think is wrong I think it is wrong to take Justin Herbert over either of those guys right now yeah I, I think yeah Mahomes has a longer track record of high level play and being efficient um, it's only been a week but I think one of the questions would was how Mahomes' efficiency and general without Tyreek. Yeah, would look without Tyreek Hill because that's something that we've never seen before. And um, I think that so far has been answered pretty well, where that does not seem like a concern. The other question is what um, Herbert or Allen would look like if, if they had Andy Reid as a play caller. And, and that's something that we're never going to find out the answer to, probably. So that, that one is harder to answer where I could see like a, a Justin Herbert or Josh Allen supporter saying, yes, Kansas City's offense has been better, but at the same time, like Andy Reid is probably the best or one of the best in the games at, at what he does. So of course his efficiency is going to be a little bit better, but at the same time, Mahomes uh, does have a longer track record of being very good. And I, I think to this point, that's what I would lean on, but Josh Allen's also been pretty good for assuming he keeps this up this year, three seasons. So I don't think it's that crazy to, to view them like all in like the, the top tier of quarterbacks. No, I think, I think those guys are clearly the, the three guys you would take right now to build a franchise around. It's just, it's, um, you know, the chargers, it's like, they're, they're just in all these close games, right. All the time. It's like, it's like the reason we're always arguing about Brandon Staley is because it feels like every Chargers game somehow co- and maybe it is just an organizational curse on the Chargers that like every <laughs> single game that they play is is destined to come down to the last possession somehow like I, I was thinking last night when Melvin Gordon fumbled that ball in the goal and I was like I remember him doing that for the yep, Chargers yep. like four separate times and so maybe maybe it's unfair but it's like at, at some point I would just like the Chargers to just be putting away some of these teams like 38 to seven and we we're not having to argue about Brandon Saley punting versus going for it which by the way we I wanted to get to that as well there were a couple key spots where uh it, it seems that he's trying to play in a more uh conventional way yeah him and um Harbaugh who are supposed to be like the the two darlings of going for it when you should they both had punts that where they really should not have been punting in I will, I will say I will give Harbaugh a complete and total pass because the only way the jets were going to win that game was <laughs> in an incredibly fluky way. And they could have just played the most boring stodgy offense imaginable and would have won by 20. Yeah. I think that's fair where it, yeah, you, you can't really kill somebody for being conservative in a game. They're going to win by multiple scores anyway, but yeah, the, the Staley was interesting because like it's hard to know how much of it was one game where maybe he felt like they were going to win regardless. Um, and maybe he heard a, a lot of the, the outside noise last time, but um, if they have those situations again on, on Thursday, I think we're going to learn a lot about um, how, how he plans to treat this season. Cause if he's still concerned against the chiefs, then um, that's not going to be a good sign for them. No, it's not. But I did. I uh, I also wanted to bring up this point that our friend, uh, our our joint friend, Frisco Josh, brought up, which is that um, uh, the the essential point is that for a lot of these teams, I'll, I'll actually just read his tweet because I found it. So Josh said uh, yesterday afternoon, 
I'm a nerd, but I will never really agree with my nerd brethren that being plus EV in every decision is strictly optimal, being directionally correct most of the time in a way that makes leading, managing better or easier will always win for me. Eventually picking up pennies may matter, but right now it's a bit like wondering if you should invest in a forged two iron when you're shanking your nine iron half of the time. And that was in reference to Dable go essentially going for the win against the Tennessee Titans going for the two point conversion. And that was a spot where the numbers actually disagreed with him because they were on the road. The Titans offense had been pretty good there. I think there was a minute and three seconds left on the clock, but I actually I'm, I'm totally with Josh slash Dable slash the giants there. It's like, I'm totally going for it there and putting all the pressure on the Titans. Okay, this is interesting. I, I think I will disagree with you guys. Okay, so I, I, let's, I game, think, let's game this out. So my my objection is, is to Josh's describing this as directionally correct, where I, I think the mental model that coaches should have is that if, if you're deciding about going for two and there's more than like 10 or 20 seconds left, then I would generally not do it just because it creates such a strong incentive. Because for the, the risk of to, ruin is too high. Yeah, because if you don't get it, you lost the game. Um, and if you do get it, it's not as much of a boost as you think because it so strongly incentivizes the other team to try to score points. To, to go. Where, yeah, if, if you're just if you're tying the game, you're, you're probably going to go to overtime and have something like a 50-50 chance to win. But if you go for two, you're getting all the downside associated with not making it. Plus, the upside isn't as great because because of this chance where we saw the, t- the Titans did everything they could to get into field goal range and then just missed the kick. So, um, it, like, I I do not think the Giants should have done that. They got very lucky to win the game, but since it worked out for them afterwards, they can pat themselves on the back and, and talk about being aggressive and trusting their their offense and their defense and stuff like that. So, given that it worked out for them, I'm I'm sure, I'm sure they obviously aren't sad about it but i i I would not have done that in their place okay let me let me be the football guy here then (laughs) so the first thing is this giants team has no expectations this season right everyone everyone probably keeps their job if they win five games daniel jones knows he's not going to be here next year and in fact there are if you if you just search like Daniel Jones day ball or Daniel Jones yelling on Twitter right now, you're going to get some great clips of like Daniel Jones doing something really stupid and then coming over to the sideline and Dable just like red in the face, telling him how much of an idiot he is. So I think that changes the calculus significantly where like a loss is pretty much whatever, right? Like that as, yeah. as an organization, I mean, especially from Dable's perspective, a win in this spot as a road dog, looks great for him makes him feel great makes the team feel great but no one really cares if he loses right so that when when you i mean if we're talking about incentives removing the uh disincentive of losing i think makes that situation better and then all i mean the the real football god point is that it seemed that all the players wanted to go for it like it seemed like everyone like dable as a as like a man manager it seemed like everyone was hyped up to do it again even knowing uh, the the incentivization for for the Tennessee Titans and probably for Dable right now the biggest challenge is like that locker room seemed like the worst place in football last season with Joe Judge <laughs> and Freddie Kitchens and yeah, yeah. all those guys involved so like that's probably a pretty big challenge for him yeah I, I actually I don't strongly disagree with that where um, like 
whether they win games doesn't matter and just coach based on vibes because they're probably not going to be very good this year. I, I think that's fine as long as they're also doing the same thing to justify going for fourth downs when they should, which is like the actual edge. So if, if it also translates to there and, and the players are also in support of going for it there, then yeah, I, I, I can't hate it too much. Well, that I mean, that's sort of, so like the, the argument I'm making is actually one of the pro nerd arguments for like going for it on fourth yeah. and short later yep. in the games. Like, like Brandon Staley's players would run through a wall for him. Cause he's saying like J- Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, like you're my guys. And if they fail defense, you know, like, like I, I have faith in you guys that you will have my back on this decision, which is like, and, and you can clearly tell when, when a team is not doing that, when a team is playing so conservatively and playing, you know, for the friendliest loss, like you can see that the players are, they're bummed out about it. Like, I mean, just think about scenarios you've been in your life. Like it's so much more fun to win than it is to lose, like just in anything. Yep. So yeah. that is an important point. Yeah. It's the, the difference here is the, like for fourth downs, the numbers are favor of going for it. And if you have a coach like Staley, you can sell your team on going for it. And then when, when those things are aligned, it becomes a no brainer to do it here. It's slightly different where the, I don't think the numbers are in favor of going for two, but it's week one. And like you said, it's the giants. So it's, if your players want to do it, it's, it's, the, um, I don't think the edge is as big as like a fourth down decision later. Well, in the game. Sure. So yeah. So what's, if, if you want to do it, then go crazy. And do it. What's <laughs> actually interesting now though, knowing what we know now is Dable might perform in a different way moving forward because the Cowboys are not going to win the division now. So I, yeah. I actually wonder now that he has a win under his belt, and the Cowboys are, you know, moved from being what a, a ten and a half win total team to like, I, I haven't looked, but I would guess they're like a seven and a half, six and a half win total team now, or something like that. I actually wonder if presented with that scenario again, if he would behave differently and play more conservatively because the stakes retroactively got higher. Yeah, it it is harder to make quote unquote non traditional decisions if if there are higher stakes. If, if the results yeah. matter, yeah, yeah. yeah which is uh which is sort of funny um i want to talk a little bit about the cardinals like do we just got is 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 does we they just got to move on from cliff like this just is not they they paid kyler yep so they're they're stuck there's no there's no trading kyler there's no you know turning down his option moving on or whatever like this is your team and it's we're it's year four now right and it's just not working i mean it's just they they have never I guess for like four weeks last year, they maybe looked like a team that could make the Super Bowl, but for for a huge chunk of the Kyler Cliff experiment, it has not worked. And to be honest, Kyler seems pretty good to me. Like na- na- naked eye viewing, grading type stuff, it does not seem like he is the problem. It seems like he is executing what he's being asked a large part, and he's not being asked to do the right things. Yeah, I, I guess the, the Cardinals' response would be that we ran into a freight train and the chiefs in week one and let, and Hopkins and more were out. Yeah. And it, it was really their defense that just got dump trucked and that that's not really Cliff's responsibility or, or Kyler's responsibility. So that they'd probably say, Let, let's see how the next few weeks go. If they get killed by the Rams in week three in, the, in their first division game, then yeah, I, I think something probably has to change there. And since they're committed to Kyler and rightfully so, then the coach and GM are going to be the ones that, get a, a hard look taken at them but they like the the titans got blown out week one last year by the cardinals and like sometimes bad games just happen against good teams so i 
I wasn't super high on the Cardinals coming into this year, but I don't, I don't know if one game against the Chiefs should dramatically change our opinion of them a lot one way or the next. But if, if they don't get it together sometime in September, then yeah, I, I think there's. That's just like, for me, it's just like a vibe spot. It's like the Cliff yeah. Kirk vibes are so bad. You know, there was the preseason game oh, yeah. Yeah. Where, where Cliff was like, you call the plays. You think it's so easy. And they scored a bunch of points with Jared Guantanamo as the quarterback, which is, is just sort of a funny little wrinkle in their relationship. Um, the I mean, it happened last Thursday, so everyone's completely forgotten about it. But the Super Bowl defending Rams looking very lackluster against who they might meet in an eventual Super Bowl if they are that good. Um, I mean, like the 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 nerds of which I kind of count myself in and then kind of don't. It's like we've been in and out on McVay so many times. Like he's so good, kind of like Shanahan actually, where he's so good at designing an offense that works, but a little bit cowardly with some of the fourth down stuff. But the offense didn't even look that good against the Bills, which maybe a lot of offenses won't look good against the Bills. Yeah, it seemed like they they just went into the game expecting to be able to pass protect, and they couldn't, and they just didn't have an answer to that. It was, it was kind of like what happened to them against the Titans last year, and if you think that anybody is going to be able to figure it out, it's going to be McVay, I think, but it's different where they don't have Andrew Whitworth, and like their offensive line probably is genuinely worse, and that, that might restrict what McVay is actually able to do with the offense. So if I were Ramsayman, I would be kind of concerned, but at the same time, it, it's somewhat similar to the Cardinals situation where you could also kind of talk yourself into just like running into one of the best teams in the league in week one and, and seeing and how it just happens. Go week two. Yeah. Oh, but, actually, I wanted to ask you about offensive line stuff, too, because I've been you, you, you hear conflicting things about offensive line from from a person, depending on what their data is and what their perspective is. But a, a, an opinion I've heard more often recently is that the better your quarterback is, the less important your offensive line is in terms of like allocating resources and draft capital and stuff there, because a great quarterback should be able to influence that. And maybe, maybe it's better to allocate resources on pass catchers or edge rushers or whatever. But then I don't know, you watch Tom Brady play behind three backup offensive linemen and it looks pretty painful to see 45 year old Brady just getting harangued by Micah Parsons. Like I, if I, I would say my position has always been as a GM is I would just, I mean, one, I would be uh, spending like third round picks on offensive linemen every, I'd want to have like 10 of them. Right. And also even in free agency, I'd be like, you know, Joe Thomas, who like, I, I will give you whatever you're, I'll give you a blank check because having a good tackle is so important. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with you. I, every, uh, every time I've looked into offen offensive line play, even, with the same quarterbacks, like um, offenses with better offensive lines, or at least measure, as measured by pass protection, tend to be better passing offenses. So that that would warrant the investment for me. So like, if, I have no problem with the Chiefs strategy where you have Andy Reid, you have Patrick Mahomes, let's get him pass protection and they'll be able to figure the rest out. I, I think that's a, a totally reasonable strategy that they have done. Well, yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think you and I have talked since the, the Tyreek Hill uh, set really since the whole bonanza of wide receiver <laughs> trades this off season. I mean, my, my perspective is that the AJ Brown trade was good because that offense was clearly crying out for someone that dominant early returns in one game against the lions. Uh, looks like they made the, the right decision. And then um, the, the chiefs also, I mean, it, it looks like maybe both teams win there. The, the chiefs dolphins trade where it's like the dolphins kind of needed someone to, 
uh, exacerbate what Tua can do, which is throw act like eight yard passes uh, the, amongst the best of anyone in the NFL and then do something with it after that. But then the chief strategy of just signing a bunch of veteran guys to fill these roles. I mean, we'll, we'll see. I, I think it might be one of those things where the chiefs end up in a playoff game, you know, down 10 points on the road at Buffalo. And they're like, all right, Juju do something. And he just catches a seven yard pass and falls down. And, and that's maybe when they would miss Tyreek. But yeah, what, what were your thoughts on all those wide receivers changing teams? That's definitely the concern for the chiefs where like they can look great in the regular season, but like in, in that Super Bowl against the bucks, they didn't have the like, secondary receiving options to, hurt what Tampa Bay was doing so the, the two high the two yeah, high safeties yeah. the two high safeties yeah, ban it if if someone plays two man and all your receivers are manned up do you have somebody who can go win and get open and maybe that'll just be 30, Travis 30, Kelsey forever 30, but yeah. Old Travis Kelsey. <laughs> yeah that, that's basically what it is right now and so I don't know if we'll find out the answer super soon um but yeah I, I'm sure the Dolphins are happy with the trade and it seems like the Chiefs are doing totally fine and just in terms of like a, a big picture strategy, I, I think it makes sense where if you're still like not sure about your quarterback and wanting to want to put him in the best position as possible and see what you haven't hit him, then taking a big swing on a receiver makes sense. So this is like what the Bills did with stuff on digs after Josh Allen year two. This is the Jets. The, Eagle... the Jets tried to do it. <laughs> the, yeah, the, the Jets tried to do it. The, the Eagles did this with Jalen Hurts year three, and then. Um, uh, there's somebody else I'm forgetting now already. Um, well, uh, the Kyler, the, they traded oh, yeah, for yeah. they traded for Hollywood. Yeah. So if, if you have like a young and the age, Bears did the opposite, <laughs> of the Fields, they gave yeah, him Equinemius St. Brown and Byron Pringle. That's something else. Um, yeah. Then like if, if you it, kind of like what the Cowboys did when they got Amari Cooper too, um, it, it's kind of the same thing. <laughs> how, how stupid does that trade look in retrospect? Yeah. <laughs> giving up Amari Cooper less money than Christian Kirk makes for a five, for a fifth round pick, I think. Yeah. So yeah. The, yeah. The, the Cowboys are a whole, a whole other subject now, but yeah, I, I think it makes sense to like, get, if you have a run, young quarterback, do everything you can to, to put pieces around him to find out if he can succeed. But if you are, the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes, the Packers with Aaron Rodgers. Make sure you have your quarterback and your offensive line and trust that everything else can be figured out and you can find receivers somewhere else. And I'll be interested to see how that works going forward. It looked a lot better for the Chiefs than it did for the Packers. Um, but Oh, we got to <laughs> we got to we got to shovel some dirt. We got to shovel some dirt on Aaron Rodgers who looked the most disinterested I have ever seen a quarterback look in playing a game in that game against Minnesota. I mean, and and Christian Watson drops the perfect yep. Pa- yep. I mean, it's like and the, the crazy thing was I thought that was it. I thought it would be like, "All right, you're going to the bench. It's Watkins, Dobbs, and uh well, I'm forgetting the other guy's name. Watkins, Dobbs, and Randall, Randall Cobb, Cobb, Randall Cobb, <laughs> Randall Cobb. Uh, but he played. He played. He yeah. he ran. He ended up running uh, the second most routes on the team, even after that, which I guess shows just how desperate of a hole they were in. Because Rodgers normally would have banished that guy to the to the shadow realm. Yeah, I, I kept waiting for them to come back, especially when the Vikings right. offense kept stalling out. I was like, okay, here come here it comes. The Packers are inevitably going to come out or come back and win this. And like Vikings fans can't be feeling good about their chances to win right now, but it, it just never happened. Which is, I mean, it is so bizarre given like the history of, of those two franchises, but we might've, 
I mean, one of the largest things I've learned from talking to you and and learning more about the game is like the relationship between quarterback performance and wide receiver skill. Like Brady's last year in New England, he looks like the most Brian Hoyer-ass journeyman quarterback of all time, ends his New England career throwing a pick six, and then literally wins the Super Bowl the next year when he's playing with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and uh, Rob Gronkowski again. Like, it's, it, it was, it's the which is more to the point of, like, Jaguars paying Christian Kirk $21 million a year, like, whatever, yeah. figure yeah. it out, because you don't yeah. want Trevor Lawrence throwing to LaVisca Chenault and Jamal Agnew. It's not going to work. Yeah, this is one of the reasons I was kind of low on Tampa Bay coming into this year is because in the last couple of years when they were really successful, they had Antonio Brown for a lot of that. They had Chris Godwin healthy. They had Rob Gronkowski. They just had all these receiving weapons, and uh, this year they really don't. So I guess the Cowboys didn't matter because the Cowboys couldn't do anything. But um, They couldn't do <laughs> anything. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll be interested to see what happens with uh, the Bucks going forward. And their offensive line wasn't very good, too, so... For a double-digit win, I would not be super encouraged by um, the Bucks or Bucks fan. Now, so what are our let's let's what are some of the biggest storylines we're trying to figure out the rest of the season? I mean, one, I would I would like to see the Chiefs play a good team and see what happens on off because like you're gonna run up to a team who like has a safety who can hang. I mean, we're gonna see it on Thursday night. We're we're yep. gonna team we're gonna have a team that has a safety that can hang with Kelsey. And like, what do you do? I mean, are, is Smith Schuster going to catch 14 passes? Or like, are you going to have Hardman playing a large role? I think that is a pretty big one. Uh, what happens when the Eagles play a good team? You know, Jalen Hurts threw 44 passes, I think, against the Lions. But that was something like no one on earth thought the Eagles were beating the Buccaneers in the playoffs last year because no one trusted Jalen Hurts to be able to come down from 10 points. I think that's um, I think that I think those are two pretty big ones. Yeah, I think, I think you could just look at the primetime games this week and ask yourself a lot of interesting questions. So one is Chargers Chiefs, which we talked about before. Sunday Night Football is, is Bears Packers, and we'll, we'll see if the Packers offense really is broken, if the Bears really are for real, or if that was just like a weird monsoon game against the 49ers in week one. And then um, I, I think Vikings-Eagles is also really interesting because um, you just mentioned the Eagles, and uh, I, th- I think the Vikings, like, are they actually better now that they have new coaching, new general manager, um, or did they just catch the Packers uh, in, a, in a down week one? So I, I'm really excited for, the, for those uh, primetime games. And then how about Lamar Jackson's ongoing contract dispute with the Baltimore yeah. Ravens? Six rushing attempts in week one against the Jets with no J.K. Dobbins or Gus Edwards. I, I am uh, – I – I'm a full believer in the, uh, a conspiracy theory that I came up with that Lamar <laughs> told Harbaugh, I'm not running. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing designed runs until we figure this out. Like, why would I, why would I put my line? Why would I put my body on the line? If you guys don't want to pay me. Yeah. Especially against the jets. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens when they actually play real teams, play real teams. And I guess that'll be week four against the Bills. So if he's going to run it all, that, that's got to be when you bring him out to start running. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So you haven't looked at these futures markets. It's going to be the last thing that we can get out of here. I, we're, I, I want your immediate reaction on some of these numbers in the futures market. So the first thing is the Bills are still a huge favorite, yep. five to one. Now that did come down. It got up preseason. The Bills got up as high as plus 350 to win the Super wow. Bowl. 
which does not feel like a good wager. (laughs) My opinion would be that there are three teams who should all be right about eight to 10 to one. And the Buccaneers are not one of them. So it'd be the, the bills, the chiefs and the chargers, I think should be the three teams. Yeah. And I think the, the bills are probably at least for me, a cut above because they're the team that didn't of the top teams last year. They're the team that didn't lose a, a key piece. So like the Packers lost Terry kill the, or the chiefs lost Terry kill the Packers lost Devontae Adams. The, the bucks still have all these question marks about Chris Godwin and other players. I mean, the Buccaneers are, depending on the book, like the second favorite. (laughs) Yeah. And part of that is probably just because they play in the conference without other top teams. So that's probably helping them a lot. Um, But yeah, I I don't think they're as good as these other teams. But the Bills not only didn't lose a key piece, but they added um, Von Miller. So I think it's fair to have them as favorites. They don't play in the AFC West. They did did add talent and they did look amazing in week one. So yeah, I, I would have them first, and then probably the Chiefs would be the, the next favorite after them for me. The one that seems the most wrong to me is the Packers amongst the, the top six teams and higher than the Rams and higher than the Vikings and, and uh, assorted, assorted teams. I mean, I could see a lot of teams. Like, I could see the Vikings actually making the yeah. Super Bowl this year. The NFC is so hard because Dallas was one of the teams that was up there, but they and they're lost dead. Dak. They're yeah. dead. The Packers look terrible week one. Um, the Rams look terrible week one. The, the 49ers lost to the Bears. So like all of these teams that were we thought would be in the top tier coming into this year, none of them really had inspiring performances. So hey, yeah, the the teams with the teams with the best point differential in the NFC after week one are the Vikings and, and Buccaneers, and the Buccaneers played against the Cowboys so yeah it's, I really have no idea what to make of that NFC <laughs> I mean it's just like I could see the the Saints winning like they're just there are I mean <laughs> the 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 Saints were actually an interesting team in week one because they let Jameis cook a little bit like they didn't yeah. let him make like a four-course meal but they like <laughs> they like uh, like he got the, the appetizers to himself like he got to do whatever he wanted for family they, dinner they with the appetizers they were really close to losing. If, if the Falcons had gone, the Falcons had like a fourth and one on the Saints 40 or something at the end of the yes. game and, and punted. And if they hadn't done that, maybe maybe the, the Falcons would be one to know. Well, and Mariota had a horrible fumble as well, <laughs> yeah. which is like kind of the Marcus Mariota story. But it's like the, the Saints thesis is you you add Alave and Landry to what was like the worst wide receivers in the NFL. And then you actually get Michael Thomas back and yeah, yeah. maybe Jameis can be the 13th best quarterback in football, but like the 13th best quarterback in football in a non Kirk cousins way, like in a way where like he might throw a backbreaking interception, but he also is like, I mean, Jameis has literally no fear. If you, if you take the reins off of him entirely, it would be hilarious to me if Jameis won a Super Bowl for, for the saints. He wasn't bad last year before the injury. So if, if he can, I, I saw almost none of that game, but if, if he looks close to what he looked like last year with all these extra receivers, then yeah, their, their offense should definitely be watchable, passable. They are, they are 35 to one to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, and they are, to win the NFC, they are 14 to one, which honestly, like you think, if you think Brady is playing behind this paper mache line, I, I actually don't hate it. Cause I would be hard pressed to, to view Kirk cousins as a quarterback who has just like a super bowl start in his career. Like that seems yeah. insane for it to happen for him at uh, at 34. 
do you have any other uh, big big picture thoughts or, or opinions that that need to be out there right now? Uh, I so I think I think there's a couple of interesting lines in week two that show that betting markets are really not reacting a whole lot to the first week. So the first one is the Falcons barely lost to the Saints and the Rams got killed and the Rams are still 10 and a half point favorites against the Falcons. So that's one that's like, it feels like a lot, but if, if the Rams are still the Rams, it's not going to be a problem, but it's interesting how little that got adjusted based on how both teams looked in, in the first week. And then the other one is, is the Seahawks are still eight point underdogs against San Francisco, even though the Seahawks, they didn't play a great whole game, but they still, they beat Denver, which is not nothing. And, and the 49ers just did not look good against Chicago week one. So it like that, that feels like it's, a lot based on what happened, but betting markets, no one well, is. <laughs> it is really interesting early in the season because your gut instinct is the 49ers are dead. I can't believe they yeah. lost. Yeah. The yep. Horrible. And oh my gosh, the Seahawks have figured it out. And and Hackett is is a loser and can't do it's like it's so like by like week four a lot of the like pure gut reaction stuff is kind of baked out of the markets but I mean I know my first instinct was like I want to short the Denver Broncos for my network <laughs> right now and then I look at the line and I'm like yeah I don't know I think probably they're just going to handle business against the Houston Texans I mean we saw multiple there were it was like the most upsets there's ever been yeah. in week one right yeah. the the Colts and the Texans tie Joe Burrow throws four interceptions against the Steelers, which uh, fits to my biases. The Joe Burrow is like super overrated and Zach Taylor's really overrated. So that, that was nice. Yeah. And the, the Titans losing to the giants too. The, um, the, the Dolphins, I can't remember what the Dolphins or Patriots were, who was favorite in that, but the Dolphins, the Dolphins were two and a half point favorites, okay. I think. But yeah, that, them winning by double digits was probably not expected. Well, the I mean, that's a the the Patriots are this other interesting <laughs> entity because it's like they've gotten by so long on Belichick grinding out the little edges, but he's not. I mean, he, he's basically just doing the same thing fifty percent of the teams in the league are doing, you know, which is just going for it a lot and throwing more. I mean, the the Dolphins were the number one team in pass rate over expectation, and Jalen Waddle scored a touchdown on fourth and seven, like. They, they do not own that advantage anymore at all. And they, they only have slow players on offense. Yeah. It's hard to see what their, like what their edges are, to use the football guys here, what, what their identity is anymore. And yeah, I, I don't know if Mac Jones is, he's probably not going to be a, a, a top tier NFL quarterback. Maybe, maybe he'll be an average NFL quarterback, but yeah, they're, they're probably not going to be that good this year. Well, the, the Mac thing is, is quite a talking point of like, what's a win for a first round quarterback like is yeah. getting mac jones a win or is it actually a loss because you're probably playing this guy for the next eight years and he'll never be one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the league like yeah it's like maybe, the, dra maybe drafting josh rosen is better because at least you know yeah it's like the the baker mayfield browns discussion all over again um <laughs> i man i really thought baker was gonna be <laughs> <laughs> a lot better than Sam Darnold and PJ Walker and yeah. Cam Newton and Kyle Allen. And he really was not. That yeah. was very surprising to me. I thought so too. I, he has a healthy shoulder. He didn't have a great shot in Cleveland. And now he's, he's going to show everybody, but uh, not, not happening so far. Yeah. Uh, all right, Ben, anything you want to promote before we get out of here? Uh, nope. That's it. Thanks for having me. There we go. Ben Baldwin, Ben B Baldwin, the, uh, the fourth down bot 
You can find all of that stuff on Twitter, and uh, we'll be back next week. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day, and internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So, while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement, while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next-generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.